by bringing up Blake to go over our sermon. Thanks, guys. Good morning. Good. We're going to have a good time. Amen. I know we're excited about baptism, so I'm going to jump right in the word this morning. I'm going to start with a prayer, and then we'll jump into our, our scripture. Let's pray. Father, we are asking this morning that those of us in this room and watching online, Lord, would not leave thinking there was a good speaker or there was a great church, but there's a good God in our midst. And that He's doing something extraordinary in the earth. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be partnering with Jesus. Do what He's doing for such a time as this. In your name, amen. We're starting a series called Gospel, the Gospel of Mark. We're in season 11. If you've been with us for a few years, we started the Gospel of Mark three or four years ago. We do a, we do a, a season, then we take a break, and we do another season. So this is, y'all are used to this. This is normal. And so in the first season of, of Mark... Mark starts his gospel this way. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's a pretty good start. I'm going to tell a story about Jesus being God and what he did. And so for about seven seasons, Jesus is hanging up in northern Israel, around Galilee and beyond. And he's doing miracles. I mean, if you like TV shows, this is an action adventure. This is a thriller because every chapter, every paragraph, in fact, He's, um, Mark says immediately, a lot, immediately, immediately, immediately. Even sometimes when it's not that immediate, you know, this is exciting. You know, it happened, just happened. And so you're, you're on the you're edge of your seat, but you realize that if Jesus is the king, then he's got to come to Jerusalem. That's what kings do. They come in to Jerusalem if you're going to be a king of Israel. But he's not near Jerusalem. He's up in the northern part. And then in season eight, at the very end, Jesus starts making his way towards Jerusalem, and you start to get excited, you know, the build. And you get, you get excited, and then we get to our passage this morning, chapter 11, and Jesus is right on the cusp of the walls of Jerusalem. So, like, all his boys are like, oh, it's going down. Like, this is the season we've been waiting for, right? And here it is. And so let's jump in to our passage this morning. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem... To Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. <clears throat> Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will bring it back to you immediately. There it is. You see it? And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus, what Jesus said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those went before, and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went to the temple. And when he had looked 
around at everything as he was already late. He went out into Beth- Bethany with the twelve. Now, Jesus is doing something here. Teachers and prophets of the Old Testament would give a sermon. They give a message. But, but sometimes the message wasn't received. So then they would do like a prophetic act or they would do a demon. And he ripped it in 12 pieces and gave 10 to Jeroboam. But he kept two back saying a sermon. And it was very explicit. Let your buttocks be showing. That's what it's in the Bible, y'all. Take it up. And so for three years, Isaiah walks around saying, judgment is coming. If you're not going to listen, at least see what it looks like. That's what he was showing. And so there have this moment where Jesus is now not just declaring I'm king and showing them. He's showing them I'm king. But he shows it in such a weird way. He shows it paradoxically. Jesus' kingdom of paradox. Now, stay with me. What does paradox mean? A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove a well found, to be well-founded or true. We following? Yeah. A seemingly absurd and self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So let's give some examples of this so y'all are following me here. What does paradox sound and look like? Irene Peters says this, always be sincere even when you don't mean it. There you go, somebody. There it is. Always be sincere even when you don't mean it. All right. I like this one from Katy Perry. You're hot when you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're wrong when it's right. Y'all understand that? Well, that is, oh, it kind of makes sense, right? Because the, the meaning is deeper. Dolly Parton said, you'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. <laughs> I did not say that. Dolly Parton said that about herself. It's a quote. I always love a good Winston Churchill quote. I always avoid prophesying beforehand because it is much better policy to prophesy after the event has already taken place. (laughs) Yes. George Bernard Shaw. Heigl was right when he said, we've learned from history that man can never learn anything from history. Isn't that true? And Oscar Wilde live in paradox many times. This young generation is the most connected generation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And yet, historically, scientifically, they are and they feel the most alone as any generation that our country has ever seen. Connected but alone. My, my son had his, uh, his foot broken recently, and here's the, the instructions from the doctor. I don't want you to put any weight on this foot. I want you on crutches. Here's a cast. But if you don't put any weight on it and you don't put any movement on it, it won't heal properly. Okay. What? But, but you understand there's, there's meaning there. There's depth of meaning. It seems contradictory. But y'all get the point. So Jesus then comes in paradox, and he's establishing a paradoxical 
kingdom. Jesus comes in paradox, a divine conquering king of peace. This is interesting. There is tradition, there is prophetic words in the Old Testament about Jesus coming. And Jer- about this kind of moment, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And no doubt, Jesus, knowing this passage, you don't ride into a city on a donkey unless the city is already taken. You get that? If the city is surrounded, if it's still occupied, you don't ride on a donkey. This is not a, a war horse. If we know history, in 1067 B.C., Maccabees rode in the same gate on a war horse and took back Jerusalem from the pagans. And here Jesus is riding on a donkey. So there's there's symbolism here. Jesus is saying, I'm a man of peace. I am uh, a king of peace. See it? The king of peace coming into Jerusalem in a time of war. And so later, he says, a donkey that's never been ridden. Find that donkey that's not, why? What is significant about that? Because in in custom and in religious reality, when you're going to take something for divine use, you get something that's never been touched before. We get this, right? If you're going to sacrifice a lamb, it has no blemish. If you're going to sacrifice the ox, this is what they say. The yoke has never touched his back. What is he saying? An animal that's not been used by man has divine use. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? I'm not just coming in as a king. I'm coming in as a God king. This is very explicit, very from the beginning, that will rule in the midst of chaos, that will establish my throne in the midst of subjugation. Y'all see it? Follow me. So Jesus' kingdom is a paradox. So I want to pull out three paradoxes this morning of this story that I hope explain the tensions you feel if you're following into those tensions. And the first is this. Jesus' kingdom is a paradox of solace and sending. A paradox of solace, peace, calm, and sending. What do I mean? Mark 11, 1 and 2 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village in front of you. So Jesus here, Solace, is coming into Bethany, house of dates, Bethphage, house of figs, and Mount of Olives. This is your place of peace. This is your place of fruitfulness. This is your place of prosperity. And this is where an Eden looking into Jerusalem. Some of you this morning are finding yourself in a place of fruitfulness, finding yourself in a place of prosperity, that God's doing things around you, that God's moving in your life, and you're seeing fruit, and and there you are. and And here Jesus is bringing his disciples, bringing his caravan into this place of this Jerusalem, this is a time of festival. There's, there's a place of prosperity and peace that, that Jesus welcomes us into. A place of fruitfulness. 
a place of deep relationship. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home. Y'all remember the one Jesus wept over because he was dead and raised him from the dead? Y'all remember him? That's Lazarus. Jesus is in a place of deep relationship, deep fruitfulness, uh, an Eden, if you will. And this is what he's called us into. I remember I came to Christ because I wanted my sins forgiven. And I had some. Amen? Amen. Just me. Okay. I had some, Lord. (laughs) Deep forgiveness. I came that he might give me peace. This promise of deep joy. I needed some. Depressed and in my dorm room. Didn't want to get out. Anybody ever been there? And I came to Christ and he promised this life of fulfillment. And he delivered. As the psalmist said, I will taste the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes, I believe for a a life after. Yes, it's promised to me. But Jesus promises a foretaste of heaven today. And oh, I came. I came to Bethphage. I came to Bethany. Deep relationship. I didn't even know what deep relationships were until I was a part of this campus ministry. Well, I didn't know what deep... You mean you want me to be honest about who I am? No, I don't do that. (laughs) I got it all together. Fine, doing real fine. We come into this place of deep relationship, of deep fruitfulness, and we, we, this is what you promised us, God. Remember this altar and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon me and thinking, I've tasted God. I will not go back. This is what he's promised, and then he gets us to this place, and he says, all right, we're going in. Well, I don't know. See the olives and the figs and the dates. Praise God for dates. I need some of them. I need all of them, Lord. I'm here. He said, no, you're going in. See, when you come to Christ, here's the paradox. He gives all that he's promised, and yet he sends you in to the mouth of the lion. We're going in. In fact, we're just, just a little precursor. Y'all go take somebody's donkey. Tell them it's for me. Well, Lord, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, and um, I don't really like confrontation. Go take that donkey and tell him I need it. I'll bring it back. Y'all, half of us in this room are like, no. I'm taking that brother donkey. Did, could you call them in advance? Did you make a reservation? They need seven days to get the right donkey, the one that doesn't bite. You know, that's the one we, we want. But here's Jesus. Oh, you like the fruit of the kingdom on the Mount of Olives. He's sending you in. Conflict. I mean, these disciples knew what they were getting themselves into. We're going in, y'all. And most of them were ready. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going in. They're excited. And some of them ain't real excited. Right? You know Simon the Zealot was like, oh, now's the time. Now's the time. All my training. Matthew's over there like, I've been there before. We don't need to go in there. And here they go. He's sending us in. 
The kingdom of God is a place of safety and beauty and a place of risk and discomfort. And as we follow down this hill over the next few days, disrupting systems, making rich folk mad, being arrested, suffering, and dying. This is what's coming. It reminds me of the great German theologian Bonhoeffer who said when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. What? what? No. Remember when Jesus called me into the ministry, all I heard from the Lord was like, whatever he says, stand up. I said, all right, stood up. You're going into the ministry. What? <laughs> right? We want the beauty of God. We want the peace of God. But we don't want to be a part of healing a broken world. We want to slowly move, and we've traditionally, as Americans, we traditionally have moved outside the city, further away from the conflict. We have. You know what's interesting, though? Where was Jesus arrested? The Mount of Olives. The place of comfort. Because here's, here's, there's no deal with the devil. I won't go in if you don't come out here. Oh, he's coming. You don't truce with the enemy. The enemy and his ideology and his, oh, I won't bother you if you don't attack me. If you don't push the gospel, oh, I'll leave you alone. Hogwash. He will walk right into the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus sweat bloods of tears. He sweat drops of blood. He, he cried. He weeped in anguish. He cried that God, you would, and then he was arrested. Do you understand? You cannot run from the battle. I just want the good things of God. He's like, well, I'm going in. And if you're following me, we're going in too. That's the paradox we live in. God is so good. So good and rich and beautiful. He awakens things in my soul I never thought were possible. And he won't let me stay in comfort. He won't let me just bask in this heaven on earth. He's saying, I need you to take the heaven into the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And the salt does no good if it's in the container. It's got to get into the meat of the culture. You ever seen a man or woman prepare a piece of meat? What are they doing? They're getting that salt into the meat. Well, the, the culture's rotting. The culture stinks. Sounds like some salt needs to get in there and preserve it. Paradox of community and individuality. The paradox of community and individuality. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And this is a quotation from Psalm 118. And what they're saying is a trend. What we hear here, Hosanna, is a transliteration from the Hebrew, which doesn't mean necessarily just praise, but it's actually... It means, save us now. This is what they're shouting. And it would be something that they would sing at this feast 
the feast of the Passover and the, and, and the surrounding feast, they would sing this psalm. And they would literally, so get a picture of this. They would literally bind branches, get into the, the, the temple, and when this song would be sung, they would shake the branches like this. And so it wasn't like, praise the Lord. It was like, deliver us! Save us now, God. That's what they're shouting aloud. And almost, it is praise because they're honoring God because they know it will happen. It's a, it's a deliver us plea with faith. And that's what they're shouting. So you imagine maybe going to like a camp or, or, or maybe singing Christmas carols. There's these songs that are around this moment of celebration that people are singing around this festival. This wasn't the first time they sang this song. Pilgrims are traveling from all over Israel and they're singing this song every once in a while. I mean, y'all been on the bus or y'all been in the car and everybody said, we just won a game and we're, we are the champions. I mean, queen, just play it, baby. We're the champions. And we're singing the song and we're, we're amazing. And this is what's happening. So picture this. Jesus is getting on the donkey. Sure, he made me carry around for eight years. Here you go. Let me go. You know, and they're, they're preparing the way and they're shouting, deliver us. And those who are close, but those who are in the crowd are like, oh, Hosanna, right? They don't know what's going on. They're just glad they're singing the song. Oh, here's our song. We are the champions. I mean, they're just singing. Well, you weren't even on the field. That's all right. We are the champions. And they're throwing the stuff down, and they're throwing their branches down. And so you see this long line, this, this caravan. Where G and they probably, some of these people might, even know, might not even know Jesus. But they're singing the song. And they're a part of the crowd. And they're excited. In fact, I bet they felt something. I bet they were looking at their friends and be like, do you feel this? I feel it. Hosanna. Right? And they're feeling it and they're excited. Here's the problem. Most of that crowd will be shouting out, crucify him. See, here's the paradox of community is that we have to have it. You cannot follow Jesus by yourself. You cannot follow Jesus outside of community the way Jesus intended you to follow him. It has to be done in community. You people have to know your temptations. They have to know who you are. You, that deep, rich community that Jesus is calling us to is necessary, essential. And if you're not in it, you're missing out. And yet, and yet, you can be in the community. You can be singing the songs and feel the feels and miss the king. This is the paradox of community. I've done the stuff. Well, brother, I've been going here for 30 years. Well, praise the Lord. You think Jesus is impressed if you don't know the king? There's the paradox of community is that you can be in this room and feel the feels and sing the songs and not know the king. You can be so close and so far away. Community is essential. And yet, Participation does not mean partnership. Partnership is a commitment to each other. 
I'm doing this because I love Jesus, not to earn his love. Participation does not mean partnership. And Jesus only invites partners into his kingdom. Depart from me, I never knew you was this. Right, y'all remember Jesus saying that? This is the paradox. So if we can do this, but we don't get alone and understand and hear from the Lord and read our Bibles and see his face and worship him, do we know him? There's a paradox there. Number three, a paradox of the conquering weak. Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Verse seven, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. This, our divine king, no, custom frequently preferred animals of divine use that not, had not yet been used by people. It's like Fiji water, right? Untouched by man. I want that God water. They price it that way too. And so, right? That Fiji water has been untouched by man. It's sacred. It's holy. That's what we're saying. It's holy water. Some of it, y'all like me, y'all got that one bottle? Y'all keep refilling it? Yes, sir. Right? Y'all better repent. <laughs> that ain't the real thing. So here, holy donkey, and he's riding it in. I was so tempted to read the King James Version on this because it just embodies something that we needed to hear. But there are young folks here, so... See, Jesus rides donkeys. He does. Feel me? See, he rides donkeys. Holy, because I'm going to read two verses for y'all. Just to kind of feel what I'm, I'm seeing here. That this donkey, I mean, has no... There, there's part of me wondering if this donkey can even hold a man, right? Second Timothy 1.9, who saved us, Jesus, and called us to a holy calling. If you're in Christ this morning, you have a holy calling. God has called you out from the crowd to be his son, his daughter, his ambassador to the world. You have a holy calling, whether you're in the ministry or you're in business or you're in government or you're in education or you're at home raising the next generation. You have a holy calling. It's set apart. It's for God. Untouched by man. Your calling is holy. Not because of your works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ, Jesus, before the ages began in Christ. You're holy this morning, not because you got everything together. If you don't cringe a little bit, when I say you're holy, you probably don't get it. 
God sees you as holy in Christ. He's put something on you that you didn't earn. That'll be mine for my purposes and my glory. Not because of what you've done, but because of his purpose and grace. I don't think y'all get it. I'm just done nothing but fail. I haven't done anything right. Oh, when Jesus gets on top of you, he'll ride you into his glory. It wasn't about the donkey. It's about the man on the donkey. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he wants to do. Well, 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 what if, but, all right, hold on. For consider your calling, your holy calling. Brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. What is foolish in the world to shame the wise? God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being, no human being, no man, no woman, no person might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. He didn't see all you did and your great personality and all your accolades. He saw Christ in you. Because of Him, you are in Christ. Not your fervent run to the altar. Not your fervent prayer. Not your grip on God, but His grip on you. Because of Him, you are in Christ. No man will boast. No woman will boast. Oh, boasting is foolish. It has missed the gospel. How we love pride in this society today. We wear it as a, as, a, as a badge. And there will be none of it in the presence of God. You are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no, the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I am nothing, but I carry the presence of God inside of me, a temple of the Lord. Take all your excuses of how God can't do something with you and look at that donkey and say, God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. What excuses do we have any longer? What am I? Who am I? I've done this. Who is your God? Does he abide in you? Nothing is impossible for you. If you believe, when Christ is on you and Christ is in you, here is the paradox of the ages. God became man and rode this little donkey into a conquered kingdom. And from the inside out, he is shattering kingdoms and will not stop until every kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And it won't be with guns and it won't be with military might. It will be with humility and love and the fear of God.
His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. We're going to baptize some folks. Do you know even the act of baptism is paradoxical? You're going to put your hands into someone you don't know, and they're going to dunk you in this water. You're going down. Why? So that you might come up. It's baptism. It's a paradox. You enter the kingdom of God. You are part of the people of God. You follow Jesus Christ because he wooed you. And you have to come to him and say, I've got nothing for you, God. I'm not rich. I don't have any money. You might be the richest person in this city. And you come to Jesus and you say, I've got nothing. You can't buy a single hour of your life. I don't care the size of the industry that's going to keep you alive for the truth of the gospel. Here's how you enter in the gospel. See, the gospel comes in paradox. A conquering king on a donkey of peace. And this is how you receive it. This is how you get a ticket to the show. You've got to admit, I've got nothing. You have to receive it as a gift. How do you get right with God? You say, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've got nothing to offer God. Then you get it. Well, I go to church and I've done these things and my parents, you've got nothing. That's the only way to receive it. You receive the kingdom of God by faith that Christ did what you could not do. And you receive it. How do I live out this life in the jaws of Jerusalem, in the chaos, in the temptation? How do I do it? You receive the Spirit. How did you receive the Spirit? By works of the law or by believing what you heard? You believe that God would come and reside in you, that God would come on you, that you would walk by the Spirit by faith. You receive it. You don't earn it. You repent of thinking that you could get God's attention with your good works. And you say, I'm nothing before you. I surrender my life to the good God who would die in my place. This king of peace. You received the gospel this morning by repenting of your sin. You know that's not giving you what you want. You've got to turn around from it. You can't cling to sin and cling to God. No one who's ever met Jesus continues to sin. That's what 1 John says. No one who has met Jesus practices sin. You've got to give that up and turn to God and surrender your life to him. Receive it by faith. Some of us in this room this morning are seeking the fruit of the kingdom. We've experienced the glory of God, the fruit of God, the prosperity of God, the peace of God, the joy of God. But God is saying, you've got to go in. You can't stay where you are. God is sending you. He's sending you into your job. He's sending you into your neighborhood. He's sending you into your community. He's sending you to the nations. He's sending you. Some of us, man, we love this. Let's go. Let's work. Let's give our lives. And yet, Jesus said, there is a place of solace. Have you tasted the fruit of, of my presence? You've been running so hard and you're on your devices so much, you haven't even tasted the presence of God. But I'm doing it for God. And then you've missed God. There is sending and there is 
the peace of God, the solace of God, the place where God wants to meet you. Some of us in here are outside of a community. No one really knows you. Maybe not even your spouse. Happens all the time. You've got to come to Jesus and open your heart and say, this is who I really am, so that you might receive the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, and the beauty that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. Some of us know how to show up in crowds, but we don't know how to show up for Jesus. And I think everyone in here this morning is the conquering weak. God has chosen someone as ridiculous as us that he might ride us into this city of Greenville, North Carolina and East Carolina University for his glory, that he might be glorified, that people might come to know him, that they might experience the saving power of God, the joy and the peace of knowing Jesus, that they might be delivered of their sin, that they might see a great God and live with purpose for the first time in their life. God is sending us. And he wants to be on us and in us. But we have to surrender it. Let's just wait on the Holy Spirit this morning. If you're in this room, I'm trusting that God's presence is here, that God's Spirit speaks even today. If he's touching your heart this morning and you realize I'm not right with God, Blake, I thought I was, or maybe I knew I wasn't, but today I want to be right with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand this morning. Raise it high, unashamed, all over this room. You can put your hand down. This is my encouragement to you. For those who raised your hand, Jesus loves you. He went to the cross for you. You don't have to, to weep or, or, or shout to receive his love. He already loves you, but he does ask you to receive him by faith, to submit to his lordship. And just right where you are, make an altar before the Lord saying, God, I give you my life, my whole life, every part of it. I want to follow you, King Jesus, for the rest of my life. I want to know you. Father, you know where these men and women are this morning. I pray that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. You'd give them the strength to follow you. You would put com community around them and put them in community, Lord, that they might follow you with all their heart. Some of us in this room are not in community. And let me encourage you, don't wait any longer. Get in a life group. Call a friend. Grab coffee. Say, I need community. Some of us need to be sent by Jesus outside of this building into our city with your everyday lives. What 
ludicrousness that God would use us to change cities and nations. And he's done it time and time again throughout human history. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. If you want to be a part of what God's doing right now in human history, I want you to raise your hands to the Lord. I want to pray for you. Jesus, you see these hands. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with passion and revelation of a great God that you are. Help us, Lord, to follow you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.